Okay, kids to the front, please. Kids to the front. So, uh, warning, warning in the audience or in the congregation, if you have a hearing aid <laughs> and you don't have it turned off already, just kidding, you might, you might want to adjust it a little bit because we're going we're gonna to get a little bit um, loud. Wow, this is a lot of kids. Yeah. Boys and girls, I want you to think about this. Look what I wrote on the board. A world without... Can you imagine that? A world without love? That means no mommies and daddies to love us and hug us and give us some goodies and take us places. Hmm. That means no fun. Nobody cares. Do you want to be in a world like that? Not me. I don't want to be in a world without love. But when I read my Bible here in my treasure box, you know I'm going to find my Bible, right? When I read my Bible, I find out all about how much God loves me and how he wants to take care of me. And he wants me to love other people too. So God is interested in a world with love, not without love. Yeah? So I want you to think about that. A world without love. Let's take a look at love. I brought a little picture. This is a world with love in it. Can you guys help me read that? Let's read together. And that's what love is, and that's how we find love to be in the world because the world that God wants. But what happens if we do this? That's right, blackness, darkness, all absent. Love is gone. Look, here's a world with love. Here's a world without love. Here's a world with love. Here's a world without love. So you boys and girls are going to help me demonstrate a world without love today and how yucky that would be. Behold, the world without love. Not to say that our drummer doesn't have any love. But he's, he's really teetering on the edge of the world without love over there. Okay? So, there's... Pastor, can you find for me in this big old Bible up here, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, while I hand out some helpful implements. I have something here 
Oh, yeah. And I need, I need some people to crash these. I mean, I, don't touch it now. Go up there. Go up there, but don't touch. Don't touch. I don't want to hear any sounds yet. Find yourself a place. Find yourself a place. Why don't you guys go together? I'm going to get some more. I got a couple more. Thank you. You're so sweet. Come on up. Okay, surround, surround these. Surround these. What are you, are you taking a picture here? You stand there for a picture? Oh, it's a world with love. That's why. We got some more sticks over here. Look. Oh, yeah. I'll take this guy's sticks too. Look, these are got some fuzzy sticks. You want to go play? Go. Okay. Go. Okay, baby. Come on up here. You, you figure it out. You're smart. I don't want to. You don't want Okay, that's fine. Anybody else want to use this? Any, any folks want to come do this? Okay. Okay. Okay, come on. Surround, surround these worlds without love. Now, I'm going to read. I'm, thank you, Steve. I'm going to read from this Bible. Hey, don't let this little baby fall off now. Are you ready? You ready, baby? You ready? Okay. Stay close. Turn around. See, see this? this? This is your target. Okay, now, I'm going to read. I'm going to read. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> save it. Save it. Just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. I'm going to read in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when I do this, look at me. When I do this. I want you to let go on those things. And you may hit them for about two, two or three seconds, and then I'll go like this, and then you, or something, and you guys don't. Okay, okay, I brought my glasses. Okay, here we go. You ready? This is all about a world without love. I didn't point yet. I didn't point yet. Ready? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. We're not done. We're not done. Shh. We're, wait, wait. Second verse. And though I have the gift, listen, and though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You've got to look your eyes over here sometime. Okay, hey, hey, that's not how we get quiet. We get quiet by looking at Mr. Jeff. Verse 3, there's only, um, there's only 13 verses. There's only 13 verses. Stop screaming. Hey, stop screaming. Okay, everybody's okay. Verse 3, and though I bestow all, this, are you listening? God's word. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Very good. Getting better. Okay, now, there's a series of verses from here down that talk about many things about how we can give ourselves to God and we can help other people. We can rejoice, okay? We can help others by helping them with their sorrows, okay? And I'm going to verse, I know you'll appreciate this. I'm going to verse 11. Are you with me? 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I understood like a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am known. Listen now. And now abided faith, abideth faith, hope, charity, or love. These three, but the greatest of these is, are you ready? Love. Okay, boys and girls. Boys and girls there and up here, let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for love and a world with love. Thank you for loving us so much you came and died on the cross. Help us to love one another in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, boys and girls. Good job, everybody. Bye-bye. You may go to Children's Church now. Bye-bye. 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 What a loud, yucky place the world would be without love. But you know, when you're a kid, you don't think too much, I think, about it, because your world is, has a lot of love in it. Of course, we know not all children are loved or taken care of, right? So there's a real contrast between those that are nurtured and um, cherished, right? But we know this for sure, that our God, our Father, He loves us completely. We're all His children, and our world is filled with love. You may remain seated. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the 
back in the book of 1 John this morning, if you want to turn there in the second chapter, beginning in verse 28, which marks a little bit of a change in emphasis for the letter. Because while the stress has been on fellowship with God in chapters 1 and 2, in chapters 3 to 5, it shifts to being a child of God. The change is seen just by the fact that ten times the word born is used in chapters 3 through 5, but it's not used even once in the first two chapters. Yet while the overall emphasis may change, the application remains the same for for him. Because John had already said repeatedly, if you're truly in fellowship with God, it's going to be evidenced by righteousness and love, by how you live and how you care about and treat others. And now in these last three chapters, he will make the case, once again, that being a child of God will be demonstrated by practicing righteousness and loving our brothers and sisters. So John states, beginning in verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known But we do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Actor Kirk Douglas once pulled over to the side of the road to pick up a hitchhiker. It happened to be a sailor who was home on leave. The sailor climbed into his car and he looked over and immediately recognized Kirk Douglas and his eyes opened big and he said, Man, do you know who you are? (laughs) It's a great question. Do you know who you are? We need to ask ourselves that from time to time because sometimes we forget and we need to be reminded as followers of Jesus, John tells us in 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. Too many of us may be living as if we don't really know who or what, that, what we are. 
Instead, we get our self-understanding, our self-worth, not from God and His Word and what He says, but we listen to the world, what others, what our jobs, what our teachers, what the media, what the latest polls say about us. We need to listen to God's answer, not the world's, because what God says about you is what really matters. And in fact, in terms of eternity, that's really all that matters. In his book, Revolution, George Barna says that one of the reasons that Christians and the church have so little influence in the world around us today is that most of us do not understand our true identity in Christ. He says our research indicates that churchgoers are far more likely to see themselves primarily as Americans or as consumers, or as professionals, or as parents, or as unique individuals before they see themselves as followers of Christ. And until that image is reoriented, until we begin to see ourselves above all as children of God, we're not going to have much of an impact on our world. For with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities, if Christ is in us, We are a child of God. That is the ultimate reality of our life, our true identity. Just part of what this means, according to God's word, is that as his child, you are salt and light of the earth. As his child, you are a branch of the true brine. You are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are Christ's friend. You are his witness. You're justified and free from condemnation. You're a co-heir with Christ. You are assured that all things will work together for good, that you cannot be separated from the love of God. You are God's temple. You are united with Christ and one spirit with him. You have been bought as a price, and therefore you do belong to God. You are a member of Christ's body. You are established or strengthened. You are anointed. You're sealed by God. You're a new creation, a minister of reconciliation, Christ's ambassador. You're God's co-worker. You're a saint. You've been adopted by God. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are God's workmanship. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You can approach God with freedom and God confidence. You can do all things because Christ is the one who strengthens you. You can have confidence that God is not finished working in your life and will bring it to completion. You are a citizen of heaven. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You're complete or whole in Christ. You're hidden with Christ in God. You have a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You can find grace and mercy in your time of need. You are born of God. You cannot be harmed by the evil one. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God or God's treasured possession. That's just some of what God's word says that you are. They're directed at us as his children. That's what we participate in. 
just as nothing can take you out of his hand or separate you from the love, his love, or make him love you any less than he already does, nothing will ever change the fact that in Christ you are his child. We may struggle at times. We may not always be the best child, but he never disowns us. As someone pointed out, you don't stop being a child of God because you're a problem child. When it comes to claiming who you are in Christ, you have a choice. You can either choose to listen and go on listening to the world, to the naysayers, to your doubts, to your fears, to your guilty conscience, questioning whether these are really true, or you can choose to believe God and begin to live as His child with the assurance that comes from such promises. Because a consequence of being and living as His child... John had already said in verse 28, is the confidence it gives you on that great and glorious day that he returns, that you are his child. And it's holding on, abiding in him, that you have that confidence at his appearings. Because you know who you are. The psalmist said, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's time to start living as God's child. Not only does John tell us in verse 1 who we are or what we are, in verse 2 he goes on to say what we shall be. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we do know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for then we shall see him as he is. Consider, too, some of what Scripture says about what we are will become. We are to become like Him. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. We are to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ is to be formed in us. We are to be transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are to become like him in his death so that we may become like him in his resurrection. But too long and too often we accept Christ and then continue to think of ourselves and act as a child of the world rather than a child of God. We try to merely tweak our lives a little here, a little there, rather than let God begin to make us new. Because the point of following Christ is not modification, it's transformation. Your situation has changed. So scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by You are a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. And like a dirty set of clothing, we're to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And in its place, we are to be made new in the attitudes of our minds and to put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The early church had a common practice to emphasize just this very point that we are new, that things have changed. When someone decided to become a follower of Jesus, they weren't just baptized. They were also given a new white robe to indicate their situation in life had changed. 
They were now a new creation. They were being transformed into the likeness of their Savior. They were washed clean. Everything that had gone before, all their sins and failures have been washed away. And so now, as a symbol of that, they were given this white robe. I was reading about a rural church in northern India that was made up mostly of indigenous people from the Dalit class or caste. It's commonly called the untouchables. Victims of a terrible form of injustice of the Hindu caste system. Though it's officially illegal, the caste culture still thrives, especially in rural areas like that. Crushes the poorest of the poor. By Hindu law, children of the Dalits can only be given derogatory names at birth. Names that mean things like stupid, dumb, ugly, and so forth. That's the only name legally that they could be given according to the caste system. But at this church, when Dalits come into faith in Christ, they're baptized, but they also are given a renaming ceremony. They are given a new name, a new identity in Christ in light of God's grace and mercy. What a fantastic example of what happens to us when we come to God. Even Revelation talks about us being given a new name. Because as Max Dupree said, in the end, it's important to remember, you cannot become what you need to be by staying what you are. And God has no intention of leaving his children where they are. Now we are children of God, John said, and what we will be has not yet been made known. It may not be fully evident in this life. But he says, we know when Christ does appear, we shall be like him, for then we shall see him as he is. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says what we are, children of God. To verse 2, it says what we shall be, we shall become like Christ. And in verse 3, it goes on to say what we are to do. All of you who have this hope in him are to purify yourselves just as he is pure. And the verses that follow that, elaborate on what it means to purify yourself, to live a life of righteousness as it relates to sin. So in verse 6, it says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In verse 9, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them, and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And the key word here is continue. He's not saying as those who were disturbing the church that John was writing to, they were claiming that you're no longer going to be sin or have to deal with sin as a Christian. You're, not, you're going to become perfect. What he's saying instead is, as a child of God, you may continue to sin. There may continue to be certain sins you can't seem to let go of, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, but they're no longer going to define your life. They're no longer going to be the dominant pattern of living. They're no longer going to enslave you because sin's power has been broken. As one commentator put it, a true believer or child of God does not live in habitual sin. He may commit sin, an occasional wrong act, but he will not practice sin or make it a settled habit of it. So he says, purify yourselves just as Christ is pure. For that to happen... We have to begin to let the Spirit of God change our thought processes. 
What are the things we're thinking about and focusing on and dwelling on and exposing ourselves to? It's what Romans means when it says, do not be conformed to this world, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the making new of your minds. Because you are what you think. It's called the law of cognition. Psychologist Archibald Hart writes, research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Whether we're filled with confidence or fear depends on the kind of thoughts that habitually occupy our minds. The way you think is the single most determinative thing about you. It shapes your attitudes, your emotions, the way you behave, even your immune system and vulnerability to illness. Everything about you flows out of the way you think. And if you're a child of God, what are you to think? It's going to determine what you're exposing yourself to, what you're reading, what you're watching. It shapes and expresses itself. It's called the law of exposure. In more common vernacular, garbage in, garbage out. Who we are is a child of God. What we are to be is like Christ. How it's achieved is through what we do, through the purification, the consecration, the setting aside or apart to live by a new way, to dwell on new things as a new creation. Before colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam had reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas. It wasn't clear which side of the border people lived on between these two countries. Those who ate short grain rice, built their houses on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-styled serpents were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground, and decorated themselves with Chinese-styled dragons were considered Vietnamese. The location of their home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose values they shared. We are to live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're God's children. We live according to his standards that shows we are his people. How we live identifies us as his children. To be his child requires us to make a choice. He doesn't force himself. But if we call to him, he answers. And he comes and he dwells within us. It's his promise. He makes us his child. For those who would desire to become his child. And so our hymn of invitation in a moment is an invitation. If you do not know that you are a child of God. If you don't know who you are. If you're struggling with that identity. He invites you to come that you can call him Father. Or perhaps it's to take some commitment you need to make to follow him, to become more like him. So as we pray together, I'm going to ask the worship team if you would come. And we do, we'll leave this open for an invitation. If there is a commitment you need to make, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together. But first, let's pray. Father, as we gather now, we thank you that we are given that assurance that we can be your children. So that on that great and glorious day, we will have that confidence that John speaks about. 
because we ultimately know we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Help us to become more like Him, even in this life, we pray, as He reveals Himself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come here.